0: Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley, and it is July 21st, 2021, and we are ready to begin our worship service. Why don't we begin with a word of prayer? Father, thank you so much for the time that we have. This evening, we pray for wisdom and knowledge as we seek you through your word. and our humility toward the spirit of truth we thank you for those who are in this church and we pray for them wherever they may be tonight and uh, their families and um, we ask as as we as we open our study that you will give us wisdom regarding the scriptures that are before us it's in Christ's name we pray amen amen all right So what we want to do is, uh, where we are in Romans, we want to at least give some overview and recap. We have had to cancel a couple of studies because of travel, but here we are. Thank God. Uh, He's brought us back together, so here we are. But we will um, be focused on Romans 9.20 tonight. That's where we are. And we will get into it. But we do have an opportunity if there is a question on the table. We just want to make sure we at least give opportunity to it. So uh, I will just say the floor is open. And if there are any questions, ideas, thoughts, uh, this is the time.
1: Okay, one quick question. Um, we'll just there. We can just um, elaborate on it. Sure, Bill. So I'm speaking to someone tonight, and yeah, I'm speaking to someone tonight, and um, what started it all was, they felt like, you speak it, you can you need it, you make it happen. You can just think yourself into sickness, or you can think yourself into health. That's what started the whole thing. But um, when it was all said and done, we settled all that dust, then we came up with person that saved she was asking me, Well, why do they say? It? Or or she called him the backslider, but I had to because the understanding you know, of that God is with that person once he's saved regardless of his actions. But um, but you have to question, well then like why do they say it? and what what is it uh, how God feels about that like, you we had first time nine, and the person's actually saying that they should put them in the because that's not who the truth are. Um, they can be influenced by their sin nature, but their sin nature no longer has mastery over them. And um, I'm hoping I did a good job on it. She kind of was, was understanding, and uh, so we'll probably do that
0: for those. Well, I mean, that's first of all. Thanks for the question. Um, so, I think if I heard you correctly, your question, your first thought was you were discussing uh, what did I think about um, God about people people naming uh, and claiming what they want from God, and God if they say it, then God got to do it or something. Is that correct? Okay. <laughs> okay. We, uh, we settled all that dust and we got
1: into the conversation we came up with. Um, you know, I, I took her through the gospel and everything. You know, she's a believer, but it's just not quite um, as mature. Okay. So the, mm-hmm. the theory was about the, the nature of an unsaved person, how they are. Same person can do actually the same thing, but the ten nature does not have mastery over this. It can be influenced by the ten nature, but the ten nature doesn't have mastery over it. be to the things that uh, unpaid person can do good, but it's not God doesn't see it as good. Only a paid person can actually do good work. Um, but that same 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 saved person can commit a sin, and, um, and that's where you know, she got a little confused at
0: yeah, I think there's um, there's some nuance in that. Whereas a person, as you, I think as you said, the person who is um, an unbeliever or still an Adam, the sin nature rules over them. You know, and that's you could go to Romans chapter five at the end where it says sin has reigned in death. Uh, so that's the truth. The sin nature rules over everybody. In And uh, that is one thing we get from Adam is an inherited nature of rebellion. And all of us, and it just according to Ephesians chapter 2, lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh like the rest. We were by nature objects of wrath. Now, that nobody is pleasing to God. We are all enemies of God. Nobody... Uh, it, it, it has the righteousness of, that God requires. So yes, uh, the sin nature rules over us. And most of them don't even know it. They just by nature do what it is they do. But then once you are saved, in this particular age, there is the baptism of the Spirit which frees us. It takes us out of Adam and it unites us to a person of Christ. So we no longer have the fallen nature ruling over us like it did before. Now, we know sin is not the issue when it comes to salvation. I I, I know you know that already. Because every sin that any person, saved or lost, will commit in this world has been poured out on Christ and judged. It doesn't matter whether they're saved, doesn't matter whether they're lost. Every sin in the whole world of every person ever born was already judged in Christ. So... Sin is not the issue when it comes to salvation. However, conduct for the Christian, it becomes an issue. Not an issue of salvation, but an issue, nonetheless. Um, so we can, if you sin as a believer, then it doesn't mean the sin nature is your nature again. Remember, we are free from the sin nature or do to the baptism of the spirit that's if you read in Romans chapter 6 you you get that right how can we live in that sin nature anymore we've been free. we've been we've died we've been separated from the sin nature it's impossible for us to uh, have that nature anymore so it is a matter of ignorance and the sin nature seeking to gain control or deceive us into thinking that it's still our nature so um uh, as an unbeliever sins, it's according to his nature. And we could say the sin nature has mastery over him, and which is is correct. But the only way the sin nature can rule over us is if we give it control. We can allow ourselves to be uh, controlled by the sin nature or tempted, and when we give into that temptation, that's what we call sin. But it does not mean, even if a believer sins, it does not mean that he is back in Adam. In Christ, there is no condemnation. Condemnation would mean, okay, I'm throwing you out Adam of Christ back into Adam. That can't happen. That's done. There's no going back to Adam. So what does God do? Because uh, really, it's not even a matter of salvation anymore. It's just a matter of fellowship. Right. Walking in truth, and then God, if we do that, the blood of His Son cleanses us from all sin. So in essence, what you were saying was correct. Um, I mean, could there be more elaboration? Sure. If you have time or you maybe you did give more, but um, you know it just depends on how much time you have and the receptiveness of the person that you're talking to um, as to how much you get to go into. Because those are the things where you can now stop and explain. A good verse for her would have been or would have been Romans 5. Where it says, by one man, all of these things happen. And then, because of Christ, here's all the things that happen. And notice, it's not about us. It's about Adam, and it's about Christ. And the only issue for us is, are we in Adam? Are we in Christ? Uh, in this age... That's, the, that's what we're, we're, we're teaching with regard to the sin nature, is that, yes, we can still sin, but that does, is not characteristic of who we are in Christ. It is a failure of ignorance or willful disobedience to the spirit of truth. And that happens, and we call it sin, and it happens for all of us still. It is a learning process. To be able to free ourselves from what was natural to us our whole lives, how can we be free? It is only by the renewing of our minds, and that way we the ignorance can be dispelled about who we are and what God is doing with with us here on the ground. So I will pause to see if if uh, if you have a follow up. Good question and those mechanics yeah I think uh, the more the more we know those mechanics the the better we're going to be able to field and those questions and navigate whatever the person may say you know a good understanding of those things is really essential because people will confuse uh, all of these things and before you know it, A person will be lost because of sin, and that's not possible. Nobody is going to be lost because of sin. Uh, People are sin conscious, occupied with sin, and so that is not the case. Okay, other thoughts real quick before we head into Romans? All right. Just got a small call. Oh, hey, Dave. What's up? Go ahead.
1: Oh, uh, for a physical death, we have a heavenly body, you know, but what about those, uh, uh, maybe uh, we talked about before about the Um, uh, those people born the church, they don't have no body until the representation,
0: right? Yeah, that seems to be what uh, the scripture tells us, that um, we're either born with a body, but when you die... Physically in this life, you are absent from that body. It doesn't say you get another body until the resurrection.
1: So we have a, wait, We have a heavenly body
0: until we get our re- resurrection body. Well, where did you say that?
1: I'm saying um, the scripture said we are heavenly. Um, those on Christ, um, like the church days, we are heavenly. We're 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 we're, we're he- heaven now.
0: Yeah, we we are. Yeah,
1: but so, did, see, people that before us that are believers, they they would just stay until they get their resurrection body.
0: Yeah, that's what's do them, right? They they're going to get a resurrection body. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, and it talks about that. Even Job, the the classic scripture, is I know that. I will in, in in my flesh. I will see God. He's talking about even though worms destroy his body, he's gonna. He, he already knows he's gonna get another body. So uh, that is typical of what we can expect. I mean, I, to to say that we have a heavenly body is not the same as to say that we have a heavenly hope. Our home is in heaven. But in terms of the body, it it the body speaks of. The part of us that uh, has to do with this earth, generally speaking, uh, but it not only, not only this earth. And why? Because Christ is there as our representative, but He doesn't just have humanity. He's not just of the of the earth, earthly. He is the Lord from heaven. So f- prior to uh, this. There was, you know, human beings going to the eternal state in heaven, there was no need for uh, a body. God is a spirit, He didn't have a body. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, none of them had bodies. They didn't need bodies. And so now, though, we had a body to start out. That was part of our makeup. So Christ took. Part of the human nature, so he also now has a body forever, and he will, he will continue to represent us. But uh, I don't know that. I know there is theories about interim bodies. I do know that. Yeah, I'm aware of that. Although when we went through a study of Second Corinthians five, we didn't see anything that really said that there was a body that we have that's temporary until we get to our resurrection. or I know you, you weren't saying that. Maybe you were talking about the people in the Old Testament before the church age. But remember, he when they're in the heart of the earth, I don't think they have bodies there. Bodies are only representative, uh, at least as far as I can see in Scripture, uh, in terms of whether we're born with the body and once we die, we are separated from that body, which is physical death. And then the only way we get a body, again, is resurrection, which is promised us. Even unbelievers will get a resurrection body when they are raised to be judged. So it's usually bodies associated with resurrection. I don't see other scriptures that, re- that point to us having a body other than Resurrection. We have a home, and whether we have—I don't think because we don't have a body, we won't be at home in heaven. But the body will complete us, and will be just like the person of Christ when we get to the eternal state. I will pause. Um,
1: just, just a little note is, and now was looking for. Uh, is there a scripture
0: that says we shall be known as we were now? Yeah, that's in, um, that's 1 Corinthians. First
1: that's
0: yeah, that's 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 13. 1 yeah. Corinthians
1: chapter 13.
0: Yes. Toward the end, it says, it says here, for now, we, this is 1 first, first Corinthians 13, 13 for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Is that the scripture you're referring to? I don't
1: think so, but I, th- I think that's pretty much it doesn't have anything to do with an embodied air at all.
0: No, no. In fact, not at all. especially when you read verse 13, because some people will look at that as the eternal state, and they say, well, see, in the eternal state, um, we won't have to have, uh, you know, w- those gifts, those temporary spiritual gifts, they say continue into the eternal state. But that's not so. That's not so, because verse 13 confirms that for us and now these three remain remain when remain in time faith hope and love so we talked about faith and hope which <laughs> we don't need faith in heaven if we're face to face with god you know we don't need hope because everything god has planned for us will be realized as it says in romans 3 uh, 8 who hopes for what he already has and love now we will have I'm sure love in heaven but uh, faith and hope tell us that and it says these see remain we have them now and they remain remain when they're not going to remain in heaven they're going to remain throughout the church age so those gifts that talk that are spoken of earlier to said to be ceasing and you know all that well they will cease just like God said yeah but I'll pause okay, and much more could be said about that, but um what we'll do I know we we I have really been starved <laughs> not not being able to talk about Romans, and you know what we have uh there's gonna be you know we'll catch up to. The momentum that we had before, we had we we've, we've taken a few week a couple of weeks off, and we paying for it by a loss of momentum. At least from me, my perspective, I am interested in uh, really focusing on this chapter and revealing some of the things that are are, are therein. So, a break in that to me is uh, you know it's kind of disrupts my momentum a little bit. But I'm back on track. So let's get into Romans chapter 9, verse 20. This is what it says. But Who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? So this is a interesting verse. And you know, right off the bat, I am going to dispense with the calvinist or reformist thoughts about that this is somehow a reference to salvation and god choosing people and uh getting to do what he wants in terms of salvation i'm dispensing that with that idea it hasn't been in the context at all and it is not in the context now so uh, if someone wants to talk about Well, what about what the Calvinist says? We could talk about it, but let's do it offline. Not offline, but I mean in Q&A. But right now, let's talk about what is referenced here and what it's about. I think more than trying to dispel what is false, let's say what is right, what is true, according to the context. So let's dig in a little bit. So Romans 9.20. Uh, says, and, and you have notes, it says, well, well, we are seeing the response of God to the objections of the church's calling. In some ways, I can understand why the Jews might have objections. At the same time, I clearly understand God's right in doing things according to his own way. On the ground, we see a very cold reception to the church from Israel. From God's perspective, the church's calling is, in fact, his eternal purpose. Are those objections legitimate? No. But God does take the time to address their concerns. And, in addressing them, God is declaring his will. With that thought, and through explanation, why are so uh, many still not seeing the church as God's magnum opus so let's what we'd like to do is kind of begin by looking right at the text where we are we have covered a lot about pharaoh about how God has formed the nation israel and for him to talk about pharaoh just remember pharaoh has played a role in uh, the formation of the nation Israel. How so? Well, God used signs, wonders, and miracles to extract the Israelites, bring them out into the desert, and form them as a nation before him. So Pharaoh had a part to play in that. And you might say, well, it's a negative role. Yes, yes, it's a negative role. However... He's mentioned there because uh, when we think about how did Israel become a nation, you have to be talking about Pharaoh and and all of the things, the plagues, the things that his arrogance, his stubbornness, his hard heart. You have to talk about that. That's a part of the nation's heritage. And it's not unlike a lot of other nations. Uh, look at this Nation that we happen to be in, that's the US, and the people could be in another nation listening to us. So you'll just have to bear with us. But in this nation, we could say um, that we were born out of negative circumstances as well. When we celebrate it's the 4th of July, what are they celebrating when they say that? They say, oh, we, uh, you know, got our independence from England, from UK. They, you know, were ruling over us and we broke free and got our independence. How did we do it? Through war. We, we won the bombs in the air and so forth. All of that is reference to negative things, not just positive things. The fact that we're a nation and all of that. It's a negative. And so if you go to a lot of nations in this world, a lot of countries, you'll find that they went through similar struggles and Israel is no exception in this regard. God had to extract Israel out of negative circumstances. And they became a nation before him. So, anyway, let's get to it. There's only two phrases in this verse that I picked out. And so, we don't really have a long uh, call, right? Just two phrases. Let's see if we can get through them. First one is, but who are you, O man? to answer back to God. And the first thought is God is sovereign, volitionally speaking, and we have limited volition. We will never supersede this fact. Now, if, if I look at Job 38, 1 through 13, and I have this in a couple places referenced, but I think I want to read it. God is saying, who are you? In other words, what's your, better watch your place here. Uh, Israel has been arrogant. That's what that says. And God is questioning whether they have a right even to to speak in, in this regard. And we'll see what I mean. I'm going to go to Job 38 and we'll read it. This will be good for when we have to reference it later as well. we'll, we'll we will have already read it. Job 38, chapter 1, uh, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is it, who is this, that obstructs my plans with words without knowledge? And that's interesting to know. What do you mean without... Now, if you know the story of Job, what you realize is that Uh, Job got sick, You know, well not sick, but there was a thing going on in heaven. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but as a result, there were three friends that came and tried to evaluate what happened to Job and give some sense to why Job was suffering the way he was. Then there was a fourth one that came along, a younger man, and back and forth they were trying to say what they thought, and Job was answering them. And they would go back and say, well, it must be this. And Job would answer them. And you could go read the discourse. It's quite interesting. Uh, what they And it kind of gives good understanding of what was known back at the time of Job. So, but in 38, all that back and forth, God begins to answer. Because Job uh, was def- sort of like defending himself, you know, for, you know, r- r- the reasons why this could have happened. and None of the things seemed to be legitimate from the people that, and, and didn't satisfy Job. And then Job answered back himself. So here's what God finally comes and steps in and says, here's what it is. But this is how he speaks. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obstructs my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together, it burst forth from the womb. When I was made, when I was made the clouds its garment. When I made, I'm sorry, the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed the limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, "This is far, uh, may this far may come and no farther." So he's talking about the boundaries. Here uh, is. This information is what Job is is questioned by God. So I'm going to stop there. But when you think about what God is saying, he's saying, Job, you don't really have a right because you weren't there. You didn't participate in the planning and the the strategic uh, way that we organized and planned the earth and all that goes into it. And in fact, a lot of these things, Job, you haven't even thought about. So where were you? How can you possibly answer? And you can't. That's the thing. So when God is asking the question, and he says, you you don't even have any knowledge of this. How could you possibly know? So there you have it. Uh, I'm going back to the notes here. Uh, That's the first thing. God is sovereign. He is exercising his sovereignty to say, no one could you know, stand and guide or recommend things to me since I'm sovereign. I'm the one who created all these things. And I have to add, as I think about this, all of these things were created with the thought that God is, has a plan that he's trying to extract something out of uh, these plans. He, he has a desire. And it's not just, well, I just created all the earth and all this stuff. There's a reason for God to create all of these things. It's not just out of uh, a whim. There's a plan, something God wants. So that's what we have to consider. And that's what he's... Not only he's telling Job that, but that's what he's saying. Job, you really don't know what you're talking about. You can't possibly know. So this is why when we think about Israel you know, questioning God about God's eternal purpose. They don't think it's right. They don't think God should have... Uh, you can't cho- choose the church. Uh, we are the chosen people. Um, They can't really make those claims to God. They don't have a right to do it. Now, so that's the first thought. Point B. Who are you, old man? So here, God is primarily speaking to Israel. They were not respecting their place in the plan. And God's sovereign decisions made to accomplish his eternal purposes. So... Instead of them saying, oh, okay God, so you you chose Israel, now you're choosing the church, you must have a a good reason for it. Instead of them having humility towards God, they react with arrogance and ignorance. And as we talked about earlier, even though God told them what the answers were, didn't matter, they they said, we don't like it, we don't care. We want it to go back to the way it was. So, so it didn't matter what what they thought. It was just about arrogance after. even So it's, what I'm reading to you in Romans 9 is essentially what the Jews knew too. They had an opportunity to know the same things we do. God gave answers to the Jews. You know what the Jews said? We don't care. We don't care about that. We just don't want to be associated with church or any of those things. So that's how it all boiled down. Point C. There are a couple of things to note here. So here's, here's those couple of things that we want to say. God has a right to employ his eternal purpose. <clears throat> he does. His way. Now, A person could say, well, you know, it'd be like somebody designing a car. And a person says, I'm going to design a car and I want to design it the way I want. Of course, a person could come up and question them and say, well, why are you doing that? I don't agree. But you're not designing the car. I'm designing the car, a person could say. So in the same way, God has a right to create all things and he has a right to create all things according to his purpose, his eternal purpose. And he has to, it's his way. So just as in salvation, God does things according to his perfect standards. Man does have does not have such standards and does not respect God's ways. Hence, salvation by works may be reasonable to man, but completely rejected by God. That's Romans 3, 9 through 12. What does that say? It says that Israel don't they don't have a leg to stand on. This, 3 9 is the conclusion of the matter from Romans chapter 2 and all the way up to 3, that we Jews alike are all under sin. There and then there is none righteous, not even one. So when it comes to salvation, the Jews didn't have the same standards as God's standards. And it was completely reasonable to them that they should have salvation by works, that is, keeping the law. And that they are privileged as well, as we're going to see. They, they felt privileged, and that the fact that they were keeping the law was, in their minds, credit toward their salvation. But it wasn't. They had to come to salvation... On God's terms. Under God's own conditions for salvation. And that's based on his standards. So, for us, we don't care. We could say, well, salvation could be this way. God says, no, salvation has to be this way. And and by the same token, we could say, "God, God, you could have done your eternal purpose another way. You didn't have to do it by selecting the church. And God says, no. I have to do it my way according to my standards. So those are things we cannot really question because we don't have those standards. We, we're a man <laughs> what, what do we know like job, we, God could say to us, who are you to talk to me in this manner? You don't you're in the wrong place to talk to me in this manner. So the second thing is when God answers the objections, to his plan, thoroughly, as he, he has done, in my opinion, he has answered them, when he has laid it all out, even from Romans 8, he lets us know that those questions do, in fact, intrude on his sovereignty. But he graciously responds to Israel. Now, what I mean by saying that is, by God telling us this, who are you, old man, to answer back to God? Shall the mold, the thing molded say to the molder? Why have you made me like this? God is literally saying, you don't have a right to answer, to ask those questions of me. I'm the one who has designed my eternal purpose. You don't have a right to question it. You, you're not in the position. You Not only are you ignorant, you don't have the facts, but now you're also arrogant. So God, but... He still, he went through all of this explanation. And as I said, thoroughly, giving an answer to a arrogant question. And yet, he did it. He didn't have to, but he did it. And so, that's grace. God, that's a gracious answer to Israel. Remember, God... He could have just asserted, hey, I'm God. Don't ask his question. Don't, don't question me about those things that you have no knowledge of and that are perfectly in my prerogative to do as I please. Uh, don't question me on it. But he graciously gives us the answer, but he lets them know that was an arrogant question by saying what he's saying in this verse. That was an arrogant question question you've asked. I answered it but I'm just letting you know you you are pushing. You're you are out of your lane here. So that's literally he's saying that. So point D. We are not in a position to question God about his purposes. We just are not. But he does allow us to ask anyway because he wants to be as transparent as possible. And notice, I give the verse in Job thirty-eight one through thirteen, which you can take your time to read. But in that in that verse, again, God goes through and tells Job, Job, where were you? You you don't have any right to talk about the things you're talking. You don't know. So, Job, get in your lane, stay in your place. I'm God, and I'm sovereign, and you're not. And that's the that's the real answer. But remember, mystery wasn't revealed during the time of Job. It wasn't. So God wasn't going to tell Job what his eternal purpose was. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, guess what? He does tell us everything. He is completely transparent with us because the mystery is now revealed. So in 1 Corinthians 2.10, he says, These are the things... God has revealed to us by his spirit spirit searches all things even the deep things of God so in terms of transparency God does want us to know he didn't like this is not for everybody he hid information from certain individuals from certain groups but he has made that information available to us by revelation and now it 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 is for us he wants us to know this information so when we think about that this this says that God wants to be transparent with us we can ask those questions about the depths of God's thinking and his planning and how he did it and why he did it and and what what does it mean we can ask all those questions of God right now and get answers. And we're talking about things that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man. Now, those things are available to us. And we can ask away. I mean, Are you curious? What do you want to know about God? And about why he created all things? How do we get here? What are we doing here? What's our purpose? What is church all about? He called us. He chose us in him before he's created anything. So all of those things are now possible for us to have information about because it belongs to us. Point E. After answering Israel's objections, God now turns his attention to the questioner. In other words, he already answered showing how it was his sovereignty that formed the nation Israel and so forth and so on. And now God says to the questioner, right he, He's turning his attention now to the person. So So he says, uh, we all must bow to the sovereignty of God. That is, God made decisions period. So that's when he's turning to us and saying to, to, really it's not us, he's turning to Israel. He's trying to tell Israel, you don't have a right to question my calling the church. He's literally, now it's a question. You could say, well, it's not a legitimate question. Well, it it may not be, but God still provided an answer to us about that non-legitimate question. He still did. But he's, he's letting us know, hey, Israel, you had a line. and and asking that question. But I'll allow it, but just to let you know, it's an arrogant question. And you're not going to talk back to God in that manner. So God made certain decisions. You don't have a choice in the matter. It will be just trying to argue with God about why he made the sky blue. You might say, well, I don't agree, God. I think it should have been a different color. That would have been a better color. And God is saying, you don't have a right to ask. That's You're out of your lane. So what you have to learn about the sovereignty of God and why things are the way they are, God did it. He made the decision. And that's it. You really don't have a choice. Where we sit, we don't have a choice in the matter. Now we can begin to understand it to whatever detail that he reveals. But it doesn't mean that we will have every single answer. God is sovereign. Uh, there's things I could ask him, like, why did he allow mosquitoes? Or you know, silly things like that. But listen, we can't know all the reasoning. And that's a silly thing. And that, but what we're talking about here are things that really matter. Things that speak to our identity and our purpose and what we're doing and our hopes and you know, salvation and things like that. Those are important things. Not why he made this or allowed some nuisance bug or something. So that was point E. we got to respect it. And obviously, some people will and some people will not. Point F. Okay, so who are you, point F, to answer back to God? In other words, you don't have anything to contribute here. You really don't. When we think about Romans 3.19, this is what it says. Romans 3. Let me turn to this, just so uh, we can remember where we are in this verse. So, Romans 3.19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth, may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. So now get this, get this. When it says, when God gave the law, he didn't give it to save people. He gave it to show people where they were. That we were condemned. We were under God's wrath. That's where we were born. And he gave us the law to help us understand that. He already knew that. Didn't, the law didn't condemn us. We were already condemned from birth. From Adam. We were condemned. The law shows that we're condemned. That's why it's called in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The ministry of condemnation. It is also referred to there as. The ministry of death. So what you have. Is the law making us conscious of sin. as Romans 3.20. But notice. What the law should help everyone uh, understand, that every mouth may be silenced. Now, I, whenever I've read this in the past, you know what that says to me? God is saying, by giving the law, shut up. You don't have anything to say because of your condition. So just shut up. There's nothing you could say. It sounds harsh, I know. So, and I always used to use the example of Little Richard. Now, I know if you don't know Little Richard, Richard, you won't know what he used to always say to people. Shut up. He used to say that all the time. People would be saying, Richard, you're so gracious. Shut up. You know, That was his common thing to say. But God is literally saying that. Every mouth may be silenced. In other words, you don't have... If, a lot of people are talking, but they really need keep their mouth shut. They don't have anything that can recommend them to God. The law which they're trying to keep is the very thing that should show them that they don't have anything to say to God. They have twisted that, that 180 degrees. So that's one of the things to consider that we can't answer back to God In other words, you don't have anything to contribute here. Nothing. So, hence, shut up when it comes to you trying to put your righteousness and give it to God as though he must accept it. Point G. To question God's design is to place yourself over God's sovereignty. (laughs) Think about that. You're saying to God, well, God, you should have done it this way. And really, I mean, God doesn't have to bow to your thoughts, because He designed it a, a certain way, and and that is it. Period. You don't really have a choice in the matter. So Israel is literally questioning the design of God and calling the Church. They hate the idea. They, in fact, they're saying, "Well, if you do that." The word of God has failed. That's what you're saying. That's, has God cast away his people which he foreknew? That's in Romans 11. No, he hasn't. Absolutely not. But that is what Israel was trying to say. That God, if you do this, then you're a liar. Your word is not true. But they were wrong. and That's how drastic they were. And Paul is bringing forth those arguments and he's addressing them. God is not going to allow those arguments to stand. So just remember, to question God's design is to place yourself over God's sovereignty. And there was another individual who did this. Let's see what he says in Isaiah fourteen eleven through 14. You probably have heard these verses before, and I will read them. We're almost, we're going to have to halfen this up and do the other half next week. I, think I see the time, uh, So Isaiah, chapter 14, and we'll read 11 through 14. So, all your pomp has been brought down to the grave, along with the noise of your harps, maggots, and spread out beneath you, and worms cover you. How have you fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn? You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Well, the rest of that talks about the destruction and the depths of, of uh, to where this person will fall, and this person, as we know, is Satan. He has come to make such bold claims as this, that he thinks he can do it better than God. So he wanted to place his throne above. God's throne. He wants to be just like the Most High and ordering and organizing and structuring things. Wrong. Wrong. And God we saw, we know that Satan is the enemy of the Christian church uh, but that arrogance is what uh, caused Satan to be corrupt and to fall. Point H. We're gonna, this is going to be our last point. We'll come back with the rest of this phrase next week. In other words, <laughs> who are you, oh man, to talk back to God? You are ignorant and arrogant. It is like judging a painting to be horrible before knowing what it is. And the artist has not finished it. So imagine that. People are quick to judge God. And say, well, God, it doesn't make sense that you allow there to be such a thing as the lake of fire. It doesn't make sense that people have to uh, only believe in Christ. And, and there's no other way of salvation. It doesn't make sense that you chose Israel. It doesn't make sense that you don't recognize my goodness. That I am, in my own mind, righteous. It doesn't make sense that you won't recognize that. Uh, well, God has a plan. And he's executing that plan. We don't, we, even though we know the end and we can see what God has done, many people who question God do not. Uh, another popular question is, well, if there's a God, why is there so much hatred? Why is there so much uh, bad things happening to good people in this world? In all those questions, people are stepping really out of their place and questioning the design of God. Now when God is done with all of this and his eternal purpose is complete, I think then we could properly evaluate God's eternal purpose. But right now it's not finished yet. or as the popular saying goes, God is not finished with me yet." that's true we don't see the end of Israel we don't see the what's going to happen in the church in other words even though we know it what is going to happen we're not there yet and because we're not there yet we're always going to have scoffers people who would come around and say no it's, you think that's coming well it's we've been waiting a long time it's not going to happen like in second Peter chapter 3 but in this case we don't have it we don't have the knowledge. We don't have the wisdom to question God. And even if we did question God, are we offering God a, another way of doing something? It, it's, the whole thing it just stinks of arrogance for us to question God. Israel was busy doing just that. They are literally telling God what to do with regard to uh, his, his eternal purpose that's the height of arrogance. But is God patient with them? Yes. He's gracious to them by explaining to them how uh, he formed the nation. He could choose who he wanted. He's always done that, even in forming the nation. And he will continue to do that as he forms the church. Israel does have a future. But you know what? They don't even want to hear it. They're telling God, either you do it our way, or we cry, Thou. So, to just to note in closing, this has nothing to do with eternal salvation. This has to do with God's eternal purpose. Many people will confuse these verses and try to make them out to be some sort of salvation being forced upon some individuals and other individuals left in what they call condemnation. Well, it's not that at all. That's not in the context. That's not anywhere. And what we have here is another subject, which is of more importance uh, that God is trying to reveal. A question he's answering, or questions. So we'll get to this uh, point number two next week. What will uh, Will what is molded say to the molder? Why have you made me like this? We'll get to this. You have the notes on it. So when we come next week, let's discuss it. Uh, So we're going to quit today. We're going to continue this thought next week. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for your gracious word has been preserved for us from thousands of years. It is not only preserved, but it is accurate. It is truth. We thank you for the provisions you have given us uh, to allow us to understand your plan, your purpose, for our lives. And Father, all we can think of, all I can think of is, is the humility um, t- to your sovereignty. And I understand that you have made choices. And I just want to thank you for being righteous. Part of your righteousness means that you're a good God. And you, not only are you fair and just, but you're good and loving. So, Father, we just stop and appreciate you for who you are uh, to us, essentially, as well. So, Father, we pray for those who are sick among us. and, And, Father, especially Kinney at this hour, I'm told. More surgery is due for him, so Lord, I'm lifting him up, asking for special prayer on his behalf as well. All this we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.